All right. Welcome back to the Soma Mama podcast, everyone. I am beyond delighted to introduce you to our guest today. Her name is Kate Vosti. Uh, she is a somatic movement facilitator and she is a badass female entrepreneur. Her business name is Rhythm Rose, which we will get so much deeper into that here in a moment. Um, but I first want to start off by how I always do with my guests um, and introducing them to you in the way that I know them and the way that our paths have crossed. And Kate and I have this really beautiful story that is in journey that's continuing to unfold given the similarity in the work um, that we are, I wouldn't, that we do or are interested in. Um, the, the common denominator being somatic healing, um, somatic facilitation. And I would say Kate is a few steps further down the road than I am right now. And so I see her as, as an inspiration and, um, and I guess that's a perfect segue into where I met Kate, which was, and how I met Kate, which was at the university of San Diego. Um, and at the time I was in my undergraduate degree and Kate was in her master's in leadership and she would lead, um, meditations, guided meditations in one of the most beautiful and serene spots on USD's campus. Um, and so I would go along to those when I, um, when I could and, you know, would try to rally some other undergraduate students to show up. And I just love that that was like the, the origin of our, of our paths crossing. Um, and since I obviously Kate and I have stayed connected on social media um, and she also has followed the Buddhist teachings for years now and um, so has just shared her journey um, there and all of the wisdom and knowledge. And I'm always I'm always so eager to just gain nuggets of wisdom uh, from Kate through Buddhism and um, or I guess through Kate from Buddhism. Um, and she has recently landed herself in Hawaii and, um, is so beautifully blossoming and unfolding, um, in a professional sense, in a personal sense, in a relational sense there. So I'm so excited for her to tell you more about who she is, what she's doing, what she's up to and where she's going. So without further ado, Kate, take it, take the mic. Mm, thank you, love. That is just such a sweet introduction. And you brought me back to this really yummy place, actually, in University of San Diego that um, I wanted to just kind of reflect on and start start this out with. Um, it's actually been a big theme. I actually just made a post on it today. It's been a big theme this week with clients and friend conversations and even in my grief membership um, last night is one of my mantras that I actually found during that time at University of San Diego um, when I first kind of started getting into Buddhism and then I found this um, I founded this meditation group and then I went into a master's program was find your wound find your purpose and I remember that time period. So I started the meditation group when I was an undergrad and I never considered myself a leader. I never considered myself any type of facilitator or teacher. In fact, I was the type of person my whole life where I would 
stand up in front of a group and I would just shake. Like I, I hated speaking in front of people. I was also really just like socially uncomfortable. I hated going to groups and, you know, just all those things. And it was pretty much like that for the first 22, three years of my life, maybe even 26 years of my life, if I'm being really honest. And now I'm 32. <laughs> um, but I remember that time period. That was when I really got to recognize what I wanted to do with my service. And it it was kind of like a service or purpose or whatever. Like I didn't choose it. It shows me like I didn't intended to be a leader. I didn't intend to, I had no idea I was going to be like a therapist one day or a facilitator of any sort. I just knew that I had found Buddhism in meditation and compassion education and everything like that. It just completely changed my life and it revolutionized my world to the point where I was like, Hey, I actually want to find other students on campus that want to meditate too. And then the next thing, you know, um, I'm leading it twice a week for three and a half years. And, and I remember I actually talk about somatic stuff. I got over my fear of speaking in front of people by teaching meditation because everyone's eyes are closed. So it's a lot less intimidating. (laughs) And then, so a lot of people ask me like, you seem so comfortable talking in front of groups. I'm like, trust me that I used to have my somatic response was just like full on shaking. Like it was really embarrassing. And then, and then teaching meditation really helped me get over that. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm leading a meditation group. And the next thing I know, I'm enrolled in a master's in leadership studies. And then the next thing you know, after I graduated that, one of the professors was like, can you come co come back and co-teach the mindfulness and leadership course here for the other master's and PhD students? And I'm like, yeah. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm a teacher. <laughs> oh my gosh, I had no idea. I love teaching this stuff. And so it's really interesting how, yeah, my origin story. It's so interesting. Like whenever, you know, you do interviews or you talk about yourself, it's kind of like, well, where do I begin? Right. There's so many places to begin, but I thought this was just such a perfect segue because of everything that the themes that have been popping up this week around people being like, what is my purpose? I mean, you know, we had the Lionsgate portal on 8-8 and people are talking about manifestation and, and everyone's, you know, we're kind of coming out of this weirdo time with COVID where it's like, it's not really over, but we're not in quarantine. I just saw something get announced today that the CDC no longer needs us to be quarantined if we have COVID. And I'm just like, ah, So everyone's looking for some type of leadership and direction and feeling of purposefulness. And my, um, the thing that I always, always come back to is looking within around what, what is the source of my pain and suffering and what is the way that I can help myself to live in peace and happiness and pleasure amidst inevitable pain and suffering and then figuring that out and then just sharing what works for me. And um, I found that my talent or skill is being able to communicate that to people. And so now I am here being a somatic movement facilitator for um, 
both women and men and focusing the work really on moving and pro processing and moving, integrating uh, traumas and grief. That's a big thing we can get to at some point in the conversation, um, but really to be able to help people um, learn the language of the body, which is, you know, is sensation. That's the somatic work is being able to access the incredible intelligence of our body and utilizing that in a way that resources us for um, for peace and pleasure, like I was saying, amidst inevitable pain. Mm, oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. So like I'm I'm forever in awe of your articulation. Kate, and the, the ease in which it literally flows off your tongue. And, and then of course, I'm in awe of just the felt sense of alignment. And we I was in I'm doing an advanced um, yoga teacher training right now. And I was had a session last night. And this was literally one of the topics we dived into um, was, yeah, someone one of the other students had mentioned like, uh, what was her articulation? It was basically like, okay, we live in a world where there's constant suffering, right? Um, so it almost feels like the more painful choice to choose joy at times. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't heard it uh, articulated in that way. Like, I guess another way to put it is it, it often feels harder to, to emulate and to embody joy. Mm -hmm. And um, I, another through line, through line I want to speak to is your, like, the synchronicity or alignment or parallels you you experience as a facilitator uh, working one on one with clients like in a, in a week like this week was which is huge we have a huge full moon tomorrow the full moon is in Aquarius um, it's a huge time for like detox and calling in and manifestation as you spoke to um, so I can imagine from the facilitator's perspective it's like Whoa. And then you're going through it yourself as well, more than likely. Right. Um, <laughs> and, which really like being a therapist in training right now, that's something that I, I will forever and a yoga teacher forever live by is, is I'm in it too. Right. Like we are in this work together. Mm -hmm. And, um, so Kate, I want to talk about, um, like what's shaped you? So I want to kind of take it back to your childhood. I know that you were a dancer. Yeah, girl. You mm. are a dancer. Oh, <laughs> right? Like, let's, let's go do. Let's take it back. Let's run where it all began. Really <laughs> where it all began. Let's start from day one, actually. <laughs> um, being interviewed by a therapist is the best, right? <laughs> <laughs> go back to childhood. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's look. So yes, yes. I want to, I want to talk. Will you tell us about your childhood? Your your upbringing um and I also want to acknowledge um one of the the larger processing of grief in your life which is which is your dad's passing um and so I'd love to acknowledge him and his presence here and his his presence and spirit in your life right now and and in the work that you are doing as well and just how you are existing in this world um, so take us back. You make me tear up. This is what happens when cancers have conversations. This is like, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? You invite all, all cry with authority. <laughs> cry with authority. I love that. Is that yours? That's a good quote. No. Do you know oh. who it is? <laughs> Dr. Cheryl Getz. 
No way. Wait, did you have her as a teacher? Yes. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, she's like my, guys, this is for all of you listening. She is, I literally will have to tag Dr. Getz in the show notes. She's an incredible leadership professor at the University of San Diego. She also is like a collegiate um, basketball coach at one point or a collegiate basketball player herself. She just basically, to, to sum it up and then pass it off to Kate again, um, there's this incredible class at the University of San Diego in the leadership minor for undergraduates mm. called the practice of presence. Mm. Literally my most favorite ever class I ever, ever took. And um, yes, there's this moment, literally I was bawling in, this is like the most um, unconditional class you'll ever take in a like systematic institutionalized educational setting. And I'm just bawling. I'm like angry. I'm mad. I'm sad. And I'm like also trying to hold it back. Right. I'm like 20 years old. Um, and yeah, Dr. Getz looks at me straight in the eyes and she goes, Courtney, cry with authority. And I just like, yeah, again, talk about somatic experience. It was just a full on like, okay, I, I can do that. Like, hell yeah. So yes. Oh, so that must be how you found the meditation group. Cause she was the advisor when I was in that, in my master's. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Ooh, love it. Cry with authority. Wow. I'm going to be sitting with that one for a while. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. I feel, I have a feeling this is going to be some massive like circle back to that. Okay. So the question, childhood, where I was not allowed to cry with authority. Okay. Right. Let's go back there. So, um, yeah, so born and raised in San Francisco, like actually San Francisco, not outside the city, and grew up an only child. Um, my parents got divorced when I was two years old, and I think just just to kind of tie this all into how it shaped the work that I do, I remember in my somatic therapy, uh, somatic psychotherapy master's program, reading about the impact, the most, they're the most impactful time of a person's life really is during the, you know, the moment kind of we're born. I mean, arguably before we're born, there's still stuff happening in the womb, but for this conversation's sake of not going too far down the rabbit hole from the time we're born to two, three years old, because we are wiring our entire foundation, our nervous system's foundation. We are looking at our parents' facial expressions. We are taking in energy unconsciously and things, even though they're not stored in the explicit memory, right? We don't really start to remember things um, consciously until we're about three years old when explicit memory kicks in. But we still are taking in all these things during implicit memory. And so when I started to study that and realize how um, absorbent we were at that time and how the, the most helpful thing you can really ever do to get to truly get to know yourself. And this kind of, you know, this is why <laughs> like, I love spirituality. I love spirituality. I love all the things, all those things are important and have a place. I'm all into past lives and ancestors, you know, all the things. However, so much can be answered by going back to that time period of time we were born to two, three years old, 
what was going on in our environment, what was going on between our parents, other, you know, family members that were influential caretakers. Um, what were the dynamics that were present? What were they feeling? What were they going through at that time? And that knowing that information will give you so much information about your own blueprint the way that you are wired. And so that for me um, was kind of my own journey of recognizing, oh, my, the reason why, and I'm fine with getting vulnerable. That's, you know, what I do. Um, But I've noticed this pattern for myself of like, I've, I've always been kind of a serial monogamist. I like, I love, you know, I love being in a relationship. I've never like dated people. <laughs> like it was always like relationship, 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 and kind of noticing that pattern. And, and even within myself kind of knowing, noticing an unconscious rage that would come out sometimes towards the masculine and being like, Oh my gosh, like, where's this coming from? Like, Ooh, you know, in, wow, what an overreaction and noticing how that um, comes from this early, early time that I don't actually remember around my father just blindsiding my mom and they were together for 12 years. And then I was nine months old and he just decided, I don't want to be married anymore. My dad was married and divorced four times. He was kind of one of those guys. And um, my mom, she just, she never you know, fully forgave him for that, even though, you know, by the time my dad passed five years ago, by the, you know, the last, I would say decade, two decades, um, we, not two, what decade, uh, we would spend all of our holidays together and they were like, you know, fine. And we were all kumbaya, but, um, but just noticing how something like that absorbing what wasn't my anger what wasn't my feeling of abandonment? I wasn't abandoned. Um, there was, I personally was given no reason to distrust the masculine, but absorbing and getting this imprint into my body of rage and grief. And of course, I will say my mom is my best. Both of my parents ended up being my best friends. My mom was my best friend. My dad's my best friend. And my mom and I, oh my gosh, I'll just say fast forward to this day, we are able to have full, like transparent conversations around these things because my mom is so fascinated by my work and so supportive and loves Buddhism. She's always quoting the Dalai Lama to me. I'm like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. Oh, it's great, mommy. (laughs) Good. Dalai Lama. (laughs) (laughs) So cute. She, you know, she's so supportive and fascinated by this work and she sees my huge transformation, how hard I've worked and she's, so she's applied it to her own life. And so it, and it wasn't always like that. At first there was a lot of resistance. There was a lot of defensiveness, but then once I was able to work on my own communication of where it wasn't about blaming her for anything. It's not her fault. She did the best that she could with her resources. Um, But these are just kind of some scientific facts. And so that's where kind of science can meet this higher 
consciousness of what Buddhism brings around compassion and an understanding and being like, okay, so this evolutionarily got wired into my body. That's just how it works. But then kind of this higher consciousness of Buddhist belief around deep compassion and forgiveness um, opened our relationship up to being able to talk and understand these things together. So yeah, it's been this really beautiful journey. And I really think that's how, you know, healers, therapists, facilitators, coaches really need to go in there and dig deep of like, what are my shadows? What are my unconscious things? Where are these patterns showing up in my life? Getting really, that's where like master level comes from, right? That's where like the more we can clear out and understand our own shits, the less we are going to project onto our clients. And that's where, you know, detrimental things can happen. So I think one of the most foundational things of being a facilitator um, and why I am able to get so much success with clients is because they trust me so much because I have worked so deeply on myself to be a safe person, a safe space to really, really flush out these things. Um, and like you were saying, like, this is a ongoing thing. We're not healed. We're not perfect. Um, but it's really about the mastery of awareness. And that's really like, you know, that's the best we can do. Mm, that ain't that the truth says <laughs> that like, Oh, what's surfacing for me right now is whenever I'm um, like, I'm, I'm going back to the most recent moment where this happened was at a um, fitness studio that I go to in the area of the Philadelphia suburbs. And I think it was during closer to Valentine's day, they was like, had one of the like, mirror kind of mirror markers. And it was like, right. Um, like, what do you love about yourself? And so just in general, whenever that question comes up, like, what's your greatest strength? What do you love about yourself? My initial response is always my self-awareness, my self-awareness, my self-awareness. And, um, you know, as like, I, I take that knowing even back to like 13 year old Courtney and even like eight year old Courtney and okay. Like the responses may have been different, but the felt sense and the embodiment of that wasn't. And like how deeply the like script has been flipped now that I'm a parent and I can see the experience of my child and I hold the knowing like we are separate beings and what I have is my own and what he's experiencing is his own in this lifetime and how I like how I relate that is how important spirituality, whatever that is to anyone informs what you do. Right. And we know there's so many different dogmas out there. There's so many different um, approaches to spiritual beliefs or religious practice. And I don't care what it is for anyone. I, I tell people all the time, it's tattooed on my arms on my arm be a nice human like i want to know that you have good character and i want to know despite the, the trials and tribulations of the life of your life and and the, the times that you were a dick and, and a complete ass <laughs> terrible person like 
I want to know that you, we see that pot side, we see that and we acknowledge it, you know, and, and we like also bring a certain amount of grace and love to that said version of self. Um, and, oh, there was another through line that's just escaped me, but I, but I trust it will come back. Um, yeah, but Kate, will you speak a little bit more to like, how spirituality you've already given us some beautiful nuggets but how that's informed um really your existence in this world yeah um yeah well from the time i was really young i knew i always wanted to be a buddhist and uh you know call it karmic imprint call it you know not wanting to be you know not enjoying sunday school whatever (laughs) whatever you want to call it. (laughs) Well, why? I was one of those kids. God wants you to Jesus. Why? It's just really stubborn. But anyway, um, so I, I always had this thought of, I want to be Buddhist. And then I I truly had this narrative of, but I can't yet because I'm not good enough. That was a huge theme throughout my life was this, I was a very kind of, you know, touching on um, what I began sharing with. I was just a very self-conscious person from a young age. I was embarrassed easily, um, hate, like hated, like wouldn't go to birthday parties, just, you know, would run out of the classroom if I was called on. I just like, I hated that type of thing, which was really interesting because I have a, my moon is in Leo. And so now people know me now and they're kind of like, they, they get the Leo moon thing, but they didn't really know that actually my whole life, I was just really like, don't look at me. (laughs) And, and so I would say, um, my journey of spirituality really took off when I was, so when I was 17, I had my spinal fusion surgery for scoliosis and that was a big deal. And even though this isn't, this doesn't connect necessarily to Buddhism or so I thought, but I remember, um, lying in, you know, for the, just for some context, the scoliosis surgery. So you get, so I had to get 10 vertebrae fused, my entire thoracic spine, and it's a nine hour surgery. It's really intense. They put like five pounds of metal rods. They literally bolt them into your spine. It's, it's very intense. And so your whole nervous system's along there. So you can imagine once the morphine wears off, I mean, I was in indescribable pain, like the type of pain I thought I was going to pass out from the level of pain. And I remember getting home and, you know, I'm lying there in this recliner and, and I remember, you know, also going through the morphine drip withdrawal, but then like I would throw up, but I couldn't hunch over because my spine was fused and it was just, and they got the wrong nausea medication. And then I couldn't take my pain pills. And it was just you know, just excruciating. And I remember that time period lying there and I didn't know anything about Buddhism or spirituality, like specifically, but I remember it was one of the most spiritual experiences I had. I remember going into the pain instead of resisting it. I remember lying there and just kind of 
instead of being like, oh my God, it hurts so much, just being like, just like fully going into it. Now, maybe that's me being an Enneagram eight because <laughs> I'm intense, <laughs> but it served me to this level of it changed. It, it, it must've rewired something because I ended up having a really high pain tolerance after that. And I had to get another four surgeries after that. Cause the rods got infected and they had taken out and which was honestly a blessing in disguise, but it was, you know, I had an, I had infection in my spine for a year that was excruciating, you know, it was just a lot of those things. And, um, I've had my own kind of bouts with kidney stones, talk about pain. I had a tonsillectomy at 26. That is a whole other level of pain. I've had some of the most physically painful things a human can endure. And, um, and I've survived them all because of this innate, I don't know what it is, but this kind of innate relationship to going into pain. And so I think that's really what inspired me to do this work that I do now with grief and death and trauma, because in, for me, it's such a no brainer. I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to deny that. I don't want to suppress that. Like, why would I do that? We have to go into it now. Granted, I will say like the other end of the spectrum is like, okay, let's like, let's not be too intense about that. Let's kind of like, woo, pull ourselves out of that pain and not like have a full on, you know, water sign as a cancer pity party, you know, like, okay, keep enough of that. Enough of the sad music. But, um, you know, but, but it ended up being my greatest strength of not being afraid of pain and physical pain real and being living with physical pain after surgeries and chronic for years, um, really taught me how to do that for them, the emotional pain and yes, Buddhism, the, the philosophies and concepts and practices of Buddhism have changed my life for the last 11 years, but I have to say, you know, and it's funny, I don't, I've actually never talked about it this way. This is, this is just really coming to me right now. Um, but yeah, that relationship with pain has really been the most spiritually pivotal, um, thing for me. And like, Again, this literally this time, Kate, and for those of you who are listening, we're recording over by Zoom, so I get to see Kate Kate's somatic experience and her sharing this. And all the while, I'm like, oh yes, yes, yes! Like my mind's jumping, so I'm like writing notes of the things that I want to come back to, um, because they just feel so important and so palpable. And this also comes from my place of there's nothing I love more than storytelling and hearing people's experiences and hearing the ways in which they have been shaped in this lifetime. And in social work framework, we call that the biopsychosocial experience, which is one of the reasons I love social work is that we see people in the environment and they're they in which they're in and the communities in which they're in right and like the it's literally the ripple effect from there from the individual to their family to their community to their society etc and it all interrelates as does the masculine and the feminine and the somatic experience of pain and like what I'm, and again, this is another through line. These are not my own words. This is coming through me um, from my yoga teacher trainer right now. And that last night she, we were um, 
And if you hear anyone in the background, it's my little <laughs> my little guy. Um, if last night we were reflecting on um, another student's class and the, the teacher had said, man, like I feel like you embodied a mama jaguar. She was like, you had this like nurturing, mothering presence and also this intensity, this power. And like, literally that came through as you were speaking to this experience of like, I don't know why, but in the moment of that heightened visceral pain, I decided to go into it. Like I, there was this subtle shift, this inner whisper, this like, well, let's explore this. Um, and another way I often speak to that more from a mental capacity is I call like my curiosity, I'll often name it a morbid curiosity <laughs> because mm -hmm. similarly, it's like, no, I need to know, like I have to know. And it comes out in partnership often when I'm like describing um, a situation to my, to my partner and I'll like step outside of myself and be like, Courtney, do you sound ridiculous or does it sound like gossip? But I'm like, I just need to put all the pieces together. Um, and as you spoke to, like, sometimes we don't need to go to all the spaces and places. And one of my dear friends recently, actually, she's on the podcast. Um, her name's Gabby Jensen, but she was like, you know, I, what my, she was like, my therapist told me like, that's just an iteration of needing to be in control. Mm. Mm. And man, when I heard that, I was like, whew that yeah huh buddy that that cuts that, yeah that hits the heartstrings for sure for sure for sure yeah um mm, and this relates to what you said previously or at the start kate and that when you when you were speaking to your leo moon especially as a child when you know we're like you didn't want the attention on you or people maybe didn't necessarily see that, that Leo um, moon. And I had been told recently as well that oftentimes as we, as we mature, we grow into our moon sign more. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yes. I very much relate to, especially postpartum, which isn't like, I think is a big shift of like maturation for my own life. Um, yeah. But I like, as I'm obviously seeing you speak, I see that like lioness energy, right? That, that inner jaguar and also that really soft, subtle, nurturing side of Kate that is also, you know, embodied in your cancer sun sign and, um, and the space that you curate and hold for people. And as you alluded to all of the work that you've done in this lifetime to be able to, to be that for other people. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you witnessing. You're, you're going to be, well, you are, and you're going to be such a good therapist, like taking notes, noticing the somatic experiencing, reflecting back, and just, you just have such a gift for seeing people's like true essence and allowing them to safely come out so thank you so much for that and and it's amazing because I'm sitting here sharing things that I haven't actually fully put together before so I'm really appreciating that you're holding this magical space that's allowing for that and I'm also dying to know what's your moon <laughs> yes 
Virgo moon, baby. No, okay, the Virgo moon. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Which is like, yeah, I could go deep into that. And and those of you who have listened to the podcast know that I probably in every episode have alluded at least to my sun sign or to astrology in some way, shape, or form. Um, And from a philosophical point of view, I'm all for whatever modality um, or framework informs your sense of existence in this world, right? That could be religion, that could be human design, that could be Enneagrams, that could be um, Myers-Briggs, that could, like, there's, there's so many of them. And um, actually, one of the shamans that I work closely with, I was telling her, like, of my excitement about astrology, and she was like, huh, like, kind of just, kind of just laughed at me. And I was like, what? She was like, I mean, or you could be a Leo, And I was like, I am not a Leo. Like, you know, she was like, you can be whatever you want to be, Courtney. Right. Like that's, that was the punchline. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm catching your drift, but I'm not a Leo. (laughs) Deeply upsetting. And I'm like trying to imagine this for every cancer out there that by Vedic standards were Geminis. And I'm like, hell no, I'm not a Gemini. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know what what happens there, but I, Western astrology works for me. I'm a cancer. I'm not a gem. I prescribe to this. This is me. Shout out to all of our gems out there. We do love you. You are. Totally. It comes from a form of self-identification, not not like extrinsic, right? Validation or comparison. Self-identification, 100%. One of the most feminine, fabulous women I know is the Gemini. She's my favorite. Ginger Kern. Had a lot with on my, on my page. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Gosh, Kate. Okay. As we, as I know we could sit here and talk about astrology forever. I want you to talk about, give us an insight into your moving grief membership right now and and what that, what that looks like and how people can engage with, with that work. Totally. Yeah. So, um, a few layers, uh, to, or, you know, to kind of really do a full, full understanding of my offerings and the type of work that I do. Um, I like to start by explaining to people that my method, yes, my brand is rhythm rose, which is a whole other kind of spiritual thing that um, came about for me, but my method that I use is what I call non-sexual sensuality. And people always kind of go, whoa, what do you, what do you mean? Sensuality is all about sexuality. I'm like, no, sexuality is actually a nuance of sensuality. And to continue to tie it back to childhood, because I love that. I love always tying those things back. Um, I remember spending as an only child a lot of time alone in my room dancing in front of the mirror. I was a dancer, right? I did ballet. I did every other type of dance throughout my life. But I remember just putting on, I think, you know, the flavor was Britney Spears, of course. I was big Britney, team Britney. And, um, you know, watch, I loved her music videos. I loved her dance moves. And I would just spend 
hours in front of the mirror. So maybe this is the like secret Leo moon, right? (laughs) Spending hours in front of the mirror. And now I spent hours on Instagram doing it for everyone else. There we go. It's the evolution. (laughs) But when I was little, I spent hours in front of the mirror dancing. And, um, and it wasn't always just Brittany because Brittany does have very sexual stuff, but you know, I was nine, eight, nine, like I was super young. It wasn't about sex. It was never about sex. It was about play. It was about expression. It was about, you know, really just appreciating myself. And I was also very obsessed with roses. I had roses all over my room. Everything was green and pink. I was this, I just loved aromas. I love food. I loved pretty aesthetic things. I have no Taurus in my charts. I don't know, but I just loved sensorial experiences. I'm like the queen. I've always been like the queen of sensorial activation. I loved just all types of music. It would just move me so deeply, literally and figuratively. And so I started to experience sensuality from a very innocent place from this place of just feeling good, appreciating myself. It wasn't performative. It was explorative. And so that, so then that was always kind of a thing and I didn't put it together until, you know, this recent work, but fast forward to today. And of course I did a lot of performance, dance performance and everything, but then fast forward to my dad dying five years ago. And it was this, he had cancer. And so it wasn't a shock, but I was his caretaker for six months. And, um, and it's this really horrific, you know, uh, the dying process can be pretty horrific, right? And it's not undignified and it's not always, you know, like they portray it in the movies if they just kind of peacefully fall asleep. It's, you know, there's a whole shutting down process, especially if you go through chemo, it's awful. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have known people or maybe have even gone through it themselves. It's a hard process. And so after my dad passed away, my mom and I, um, we're just trying to figure out how to heal from this. You know, we were all so close, even though my parents weren't together. Um, and I do want to add just cause I talked about the beginning and I didn't put my dad in the best light, but you know, I have immense compassion for my dad, um, for his upbringing, understanding his upbringing too. But, you know, before my dad died and I don't know, who, I don't know who needs to hear this, but I feel like I'm sharing this cause someone listening to this, this will hit home. But, um, my dad said to me on his deathbed, he was like, you know, your mom was the closest thing to a soulmate as I ever had. And, you know, I never thought I was going to hear that. And my mom even shared after my dad had died that um, there was one day she was dropping him off at, you know, a chemo treatment or something. And he turned around and looked at her before he left the car and was just like, you know, I love you. Right. She's like, yeah, I love you too. So, you know, Love is such a complex thing, and it's really interesting how it evolves over lifetimes. And it was really interesting how death puts love in perspective. And so that leads me to where we're going now with grief and death and sensuality and pleasure. Um, so basically, I found 
movement and dance in uh, the Bay Area, this this place that is, it's, um, they always did technical dance, but I found um, this workshop where we got to just move, just move a whole day to a live celloist. And I realized I processed more in that day than I had in any type of grief counseling talk therapy. And I did a lot of, I've done talk therapy my whole life. And I'm like, you know, I don't know how effective this is because I'm still in it. And so I moved through it with the, and I was like, oh my God, this, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I was 27. Yeah. It was right when my dad died. So I was like, okay, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to help people to move through grief. And so I went and found this other master's program in Colorado um, and studied somatic psychotherapy and dance movement therapy. I will asterisk say I do not, I actually left this program halfway through because I did not like it. Um, and for anyone that does, I know Courtney probably has her recommendations. I always recommend to people, if you really want to be a somatic facilitator of sorts, somatic experiencing Dr. Peter Levine's work has honestly been the most impactful for me. Um, and so I just wanted to throw that out there that I do not recommend my program and I'm very open about it. Um, so anyway, (laughs) um, so anyway, I just, I wanted to, to serve this, what it feels like a very underserved population of people, like we're all processing grief. We always think grief is just about a tragedy, just about loss, And it's really not, I realize tying it back to, again, childhood, I'm still grieving my mother's grief of being blindsided with a nine-month-old. You know, I'm still grieving the times in elementary or high school when I was ganged up on with girls. I'm still grieving the fact that, or my body's still grieving all the physical trauma from surgeries. I'm still grieving all of the horrible breakups I've had, right? Like, which everyone can relate to. Like, we still hold grief from years and years and years, and it doesn't have to be an acute thing um, that happened. It doesn't have to be a disaster. It can be these things that are seemingly much smaller, but we hold on to them. And so there's really this huge spectrum of grief. and so my point is that we're all grieving something big or small, even if it's small things like, oh, that didn't pan out the way I wanted, like, oh, that, you know, something you know, small, right? Like, oh, my spin class was canceled today. Oh, I was really looking forward to that. And then you kind of feel off for the rest of the day. It's because you're grieving, grieving a transition, you're grieving a change. And so the more that you can give space, intentionally give space to grieve these smaller things, it's really allows you, sets you up for uh, creating intentional rituals and practices around grieving when these kind of inevitable, much bigger things um, happen. So it's really about building resilience. And so, and so to say, to wrap that towards what I'm offering now is I have a month to month membership. Um, I have a lot of one-on-one clients, but I'm very compassionate to where not everyone can afford one-on-one because 
you know, that's everyone's in different points of their life. And so I wanted to make something super affordable. So it's only $44 a month. And we meet twice a month as a group um, on Zoom. And it's a 90 minute session that I guide everyone through. We share what kind of what's alive, what's present. And then I guide everyone through um, uh, movement or somatic visualization practices, but something that, and it isn't necessarily always about grief. Like this last, last night, last Wednesday, we played with rage. We moved rage through our body the week before we did like a full on chakra clearing the week, you know, before it was like the full moon. We did like a whole manifestation and like burning, you know, thing ritual. Like it's really, you know, grief gets to be so creative. The grieving process is so creative and it's really just whatever you're healing formula is so yeah that's this offering now that I'm really really proud of and excited as it starts to gain momentum and we can normalize grief that's really my intention is to normalize grief mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. Mm, I love I love that like what I heard you say was we all have our different healing formula and um, I also want to circle back to what you had spoken to earlier, just the phrase sensorial activation. And I hadn't oh. heard said like that before. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah. I loved that. And, you know, of course, what's coming up for me right now, which I'm actually reading this book currently, is The Body Keeps the Score by Dr. Yes. Bessie, which is it's just like. Yes. Like if you haven't read it yet and you're listening to this, here's your invitation to read it, to listen to it. Um, And it's, but really it's that phrase, which ended up being the title of his book. It's as simple as the body keeps the score, right? The body knows, the body knows all of the breakups, the body knows ancestral trauma, the body knows, um, yeah, the physical, mental, emotional pains and and experiences that you have um, have held and endured throughout throughout your life, and and I also I just want to mention that I appreciate your mention of like, hey, I've been in talk therapy my whole life, and one session of dancing to a cello, you know, like did it for me and you know for some people it's like theatrical arts for some people it's art therapy for some people it's anger projects you know for some people it's submersion in water and and that is is my like that those are becoming the pillars of my to be therapeutic practice because I completely agree. I, for one, I, I don't think that we can just be doing talk therapy. I think it's valuable. I see words as energy exiting the body, right? Like that's one form. I also think that feeling the support of someone else, such as a body worker, massage therapist, a Reiki master, like that is invaluable. I think that walking in nature is invaluable, right? So I think dancing is invaluable. And I think, like you said, a lot of times too, folks need a space, a safe space and container and a person to feel held in that way. Um, And for whatever reason, part of the human experience is isolating and thinking that whatever we've experienced, no one else has. And perhaps there's some truth in that, right? Perhaps someone else has not experienced exactly to a T what we have experienced, even through loss, even through like relationship, even through like child rearing, whatever. Um, but we all have our different variations of grief of experiences in this lifetime. 
Um, so yes, for those of you listening, Kate is, she holds such a beautiful sacred container as she spoke to, she brings in spirituality. She brings in ceremonial work, ritualistic work. Um, obviously all things somatic. It's, it's like, Hey, like, what do you, what do you want to do today? Like, what are we doing? Right. And she will get right in there and do it with you. I reckon even if she's never done it before. Um, and Kate's done a lot of things. <laughs> so, <I'm alive. laughs> um, Kate, where can our listeners connect with you? Yeah, connect with me. Um, my well, Rhythm Rose. So, Rhythm Rose, it's my website, rhythmrose.love. Um, my Instagram handle is also rhythm.rose. And feel free to reach out and message me um, when you find my page or my website or anything like that. There's, you know, equal parts um, grief, equal parts sensuality. Um, And I realized I didn't like fully kind of circle back to the whole non-sexual sensuality thing. But just in brief to tie it with the grief, my whole fundamental um, kind of yeah, facilitation style is really to help people to create a pleasurable environment with their bodies that isn't necessarily sexually related. Because when we can create that safety and trust with ourselves to take care of ourselves, then we can, then the pain feels safe to reveal itself. Then we know if we go into the pain, right (laughs) into the pain, we're not going to fully unravel because we, we have kind of, you mentioned the masculine feminine, like we have that strong inner masculine to hold and caretake um, and to provide that structure so that the feminine feels safe to be soft, feels safe to explore and reveal her truths. So that's kind of the flavor of approach I do with grief and non-sexual sensuality is being able to activate this pleasurable sensorial experience using the different senses to create this environment for safety so that when we are facing the big heavy things like grief or trauma or pain we feel very taken care of by ourselves and of course held by community or a practitioner so so yeah that's what my page is all about and please feel free to reach out to me. I love meeting new people and talking about all these things. There's so many nuances. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, and, and for those of you listening to it, be it anything that you take from Kate, um, it's her words and her wisdom. Um, yeah. So perhaps you pop on her page and, and just like, you know, read some of her posts on Facebook or watch some of her reels and just feel, yeah, get that introduction to what, what Kate and what Rhythm Rose is all about. And, um, and you'll feel it right away. I mean, I know I'm cancer. I'm, I'm a sun sign. I'm an empath. I'm all the things, or excuse me, I am a cancer sun sign. I'm an empath, highly sensitive person. <laughs> um, yeah. And so like, obviously like, you're speaking my language. I can feel it. I can like, yes. Like my, you know, I'm like jumping for joy inside. And like, she also, for someone who's like, who, what, huh? What? Like, uh, what is she talking about? Um, she will still make this, um, this work like digestible and approachable. Um, and, and, Oh, what's the last word I'm looking for? Like non-anxiety inducing for you. Um, as fear inducing as it might seem or appear to be in the experience of the mind. 
output. Yes. Um, I appreciate that so much. I appreciate you. Likewise, I just thank the divine for connecting our paths once and then again, right? Like we've never disconnected, but there's been, it seems like two defining points of connection. And um, those are the moments I live for in this lifetime. I say it over and over again. Um, Yeah. So any final words that you have to share with us? Oh my goodness. Um, Cry with authority. Hell to the yeah, I will. I will put a shout out to Dr. Getz in this uh, podcast. He is also absolute angel who has graced this earth and touched so, so, so many people, so many students. Um, Yep. So any further questions? Yeah, I was going to say like your grief, your grief is so welcome. Your tears are so welcome. Your pain is so welcome. You have every right to feel that way. And it's really about being able to be with it and to process it through and alchemize it and transmute it into service to circle back, to find your wound, find your purpose. You know, this is where we get our deepest levels of compassion and meaning and understanding is when we're able to be with our own pain is when we claim our grief, we claim our shadows and we're able to cry with authority. I mean, that's, that's the true embodiment right there of the human experience. So that's it. That's Dr. Getz. (laughs) Yes. Thank you, Dr. Getz. We are all in, and what I hear there is just like embodying all of our, our mama Jaguar energy in all of us as we navigate through, um, yeah, the mucky stuff, the yucky stuff, the soft and enlightening and joyous stuff, all of the stuff. Yeah. Thank you all for tuning in today. Thank you, Kate, for hopping on the pod and sharing your your journey with us. And yeah, I'll pop everything in the show notes. So be sure to look there. Um, any questions, send them my way. Any questions for Kate, send them her way. Um, and until we meet again. Thank you, honey.